Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm Nathan Fink. I'm Jolyn Drennan and this is New Hampshire Family Now. A show about building family in the Granite State. Today on the show, TLC Family Support Specialist Samantha Palmer and Registered Nurse Karen Jameson join us to talk support for new moms, three of whom have brought their little ones. You should see her on camera when she sees Leah. She like gets all excited. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, health care, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to www. Dot nhcf.org. This podcast was also brought to you by Family Support New Hampshire. Family Support New Hampshire is NH's coalition of family resource centers and family strengthening programs that exist to ensure Granite State families have access to resources so both caregivers and children can succeed because supported families are strong families. To find a family resource center near you, visit www.fsnh.org. Hey, it's Nathan, co-host of New Hampshire Family Now. I wanted to take a quick break from the show because it occurred to me the other day that I've never asked you to subscribe to this podcast. Subscribing is free, and when you do it, it helps our placement algorithms, making it that much easier for caregivers across New Hampshire to find valuable information and strategies for their families. Also, you'll be alerted when a new episode drops. And if you like the show, leaving a review helps us that much more. So go to wherever you get your podcast, type in New Hampshire Family Now, and as the kids say, smash that subscribe button. I say click it because if you smash it, then you're going to need a new one. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome family support specialist Samantha Palmer and registered nurse, among other things, Karen Jameson, both of whom work at TLC Family Resource Center in Claremont, New Hampshire. Karen, Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I know both of you and your organization, you do a lot of work in the community to support wellness of children, caregivers, and families. Can you talk a little bit about the programming at TLC and how it works to support mental health of the families you serve? So our agency is is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. We're super excited about that. And it's undergone so much growth in that time frame. What started out as a small volunteer program has grown into a family resource center with many different programming under our roof. But what has been a constant has been our home visiting program, which matches a family support specialist and a registered nurse to work intensively in the homes with pregnant and parenting families. One of the priorities that we focus on is mental health. So we do a lot of screening and talking about it and referring and basically touching in on it frequently throughout the time frame that we're working with them, which can be long. It can be 18 months. It could be three and a half years. A lot of opportunities to talk about mental health and parenting. 
It seems like when we talk about these programs and we talk about mental health, we're talking about things that are so interconnected, especially given the fact that we also have, you know, children in the home or like you had said, pregnant and parenting families. Can you kind of talk about the overlap that is mental health and really the experience of being a caretaker in the home? Karen and I talk about this a lot too, is, you know, the hierarchy of needs. So when we walk into somebody's home and they're like, I can't pay rent. I I can afford formula because of WIC, but I've been surviving off of pasta for three weeks. That's all so intertwined with mental health. If you're thinking, I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow, that puts such a toll on your mental health. So we really start there with the concrete supports and then just kind of intertwining the mental health piece as we go. Like Karen said, we do a lot of screening and that's all usually within the first visit we get so much done. You know, we make a list of goals with the families. We screen for some um, postpartum. We, you know, we really, we really, like you said, want to detangle everything and then start putting it back together piece by piece. Because when you're in the thick of it, when you're struggling with all these different things, it's hard to see like what's step number one. Right. And those social determinants of health, I mean, we've all heard that now. Those mm-hmm. are critical because it, Sam's correct. We can't prioritize and focus on things that are typically at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of need, you know, which is mental health and well-being when we don't know where our next meal is coming from. The beauty of the home visiting program is that it's not a one-time appointment that somebody has where you're trying to just get a snapshot of the family and untangle everything. It's done gradually over time. And I think we're adept at weaving in those conversations about hard topics at times when people are receptive to talking about them. You know, change doesn't happen overnight um, and it takes time and a, and a relationship with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable opening up to. Hi. She's gotten so big, Sam, from the last time that I like, physically seen him. Like, it's hard for me not to get frustrated with him when he gets frustrated with her and he's like, does he have a mouth of teeth right now? And I like to bite. The right there is the relational piece because I've been working with some families, you know, six months and six months in, You know, the mom's like, oh, actually, I was abused for all these years. All right. So this starts to explain a few things. But if I had met with her just once or twice, we would have never gotten there. I imagine like that relationship then it allows you to uncover a history of accruing strength. And then you start to see goals met. Is that kind of an experience you find as well? Oh, absolutely. And recognizing that you need to set little short term achievable goals because you're correct. You do start to feel you get a little momentum when you start meeting these goals. But if you just walk in there and say, you got to get housing this week and you got to get this and you got to get a job and you got to get childcare, none of those goals are going to get met in a week. And that starts to feel bad and can be demoralizing. So helping that might be the goal is to get all of those, but let's do little short achievable things. Like this week, we're going to work on the housing applications and get those submitted so that it's, it's broken up into steps that are palatable. Obviously, this last three years has been difficult for all of us, but I can't imagine right now being a new mom in this environment. What are you seeing in terms of what they're going through? Yeah, this year, it's been rough. It really has. Pre-COVID, we were seeing rates of one in seven women within the first few months were screening positive. And then if you go out to a year, it was one in five. But since COVID, I just pulled up the latest study last night. It's one in three women are meeting the cutoff for postpartum depression. And if you think about why, it makes sense. Throughout this whole pandemic, 
the isolation is intense, you know, the, the not being able to get together with people in the beginning of the pandemic and basically being pregnant in a bubble. Isolation. Like I was trying to help my son through school because I have an older son as well, who's 10. And it was just, you were just isolated. You, everybody was home and you didn't really go anywhere. And then can you imagine going to your ultrasound, going to your OB appointments and nobody can go with you? So your partner can't be there with you. You might be able to FaceTime and stuff. But if there's something scary happening, you don't have a support person with you. And then in the beginning, women were delivering without a support person, you know, having to go to the hospital with nobody. Then it was one person. So they had to choose that one person and they had to stay that person through the duration of their stay at the hospital, which can be really anxiety provoking when you have to choose between two people that you really thought were going to be there for you. So, of course, it makes sense that, you know, their anxiety is heightened, their stress is heightened, they're feeling a lot more emotions. But then you come home with a baby and you're, you're, you're isolated again and you can't go to playgroups, you can't go to the park and hang out with people, uh, you can't go to your friend's house. You know, it's been two plus years of, of that. Women can't you know, go through a pregnancy in, in, in a bubble, they can't deliver in a bubble and they can't parent in a bubble. When we talk about postpartum depression, what are we talking about? What does it look like? What are the symptoms? There's a lot to say about this. So postpartum depression is the term that everybody knows and talks about. But really, we started calling it perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. That's the term that's being used in this community now um, because it's so much more than depression. It can come out in so many different ways. Anxiety, depression, anger postpartum psychosis, like it's a whole range of mood and anxiety disorders that happens prenatally all the way up until a year postpartum. Yeah, mine was really bad. It actually started before I even had her, like two months before I had my daughter and we were in like the thick of COVID. So it was even worse because you're isolated. You're away from everybody and anybody. It's hard. Yeah. I didn't want to get out of bed for like days on end. I didn't want to like leave the house. I mean, every mom doesn't want to leave the house at first, but after like a month or so, I wouldn't really want to leave the house. And it took me a while to come to terms that my postpartum alcoholism was a form of depression or, you know, things like that. The stress. I couldn't regulate like myself at all. Like my emotions were all over the place. One minute I'm super happy and the next minute I'm yelling and screaming because I'm sad or just sitting on the couch crying. I spent like two days on my couch just crying because I really had nobody to talk to. So it can look like, you know, the typical what we see in the commercials of a woman crying next to the window when it's raining. But it also can look like the mom that's getting up and she looks nice and she has makeup on and she's going to work. I think I would add fear, guilt, shame, sleep disturbances, flashbacks from delivery, intrusive thoughts and obsessive compulsive disorder are really quite common. And those are all under the new term, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, because it's so much more than just depression. The stats that Sam shared with you about women, one in 10 male partners will have a PMAT and the rate goes higher if their partner has been diagnosed with one. So it impacts not just mom, but the partner and the family and, and everyone. 
Now, when I hear when you're we're talking about you're talking about it in terms of disorder and my visceral response is I cannot imagine, you know, being in that position of a new mom and then feeling like I had a disorder, like I am disordered in some way, given the expectation that comes with parenting and what we see about parenting, you know, through social media and all of these things. I would imagine that there is a tremendous amount of stigma. I can't imagine just how much pressure that puts and another layer of essentially anxiety over the top of what you're already feeling. Right. That's the guilt and the shame. And that's the silence because we're not supposed to have these feelings. Society has ta- has told us that parenting is natural. Parenting is wonderful. You'll love your baby the minute you're, so you see your baby. You know how lucky you are that your baby is healthy and that you're, you're doing fine. And people say a lot of well-meaning things, but what it does is continue to reinforce to somebody who's not feeling well that somehow it's their fault and they just feel this guilt and shame. I call it my record player. Just starts playing and it's over and over again. It's you're stupid, you're dumb, you're ugly, you're fat, you're this, you're that. Your mind just keeps going and going and going and circling around that or you're not a good mom. You you did this wrong, you've done that wrong. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Like people in the store were like, he's just crying and they all like stare at you for some reason. Because everyone's saying, oh, she looks exhausted. She's rubbing her eyes. Or when she lets go of my finger and face plants onto the floor right in front of the whole family. And I'm like, uh, oh, my baby's scream crying and her whole face is red. And that all happened in just a point second period and I had no time to react. But I guess the mom guilt or the mom shame and you kind of lose yourself in it. Which begs the question, what are we doing? You know, to mitigate that. And so we're thinking outside the box. We're getting creative. During all of these shutdowns, we're launching virtual support groups where we can address these issues. And if we can't bring the mom to us, we're going to get there somehow. And we're going to talk, open up lines of communication so they don't feel so alone. We're coming up on a year of a new mom's support group, a virtual one that is doing quite well. And we have been every 12 weeks getting feedback from them in a written format. And the overarching reason that they come to this is because they don't feel so alone. So one of the reasons Sam and I are on this today talking to you is to help shine the spotlight on it. And really, the best way that we can help moms is to talk about this and normalize it and take away that shame and the stigma. You know, the facts and the quotes that we have shared with you have come from an organization called Postpartum Support International, which is a great organization. And PSI, as they're known, has a fantastic slogan. You are not alone. You are not to blame. With help, you will be well. It gives me chills when I read it because it's just so powerful. You're not alone. You're not to blame. There is help out there. There's really good help. I hear Sam. During Karen and I's training through PSI here, they recommended a book for moms. Um, I actually have one here. I keep it really close to me. Uh, It's called um, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. And it has these cartoons. And so it's like super easy to read and flip through. They have these thought bubbles of these mom cartoons. And it talks about intrusive thoughts and scary thoughts and these things that some moms would be so afraid to say out loud. We give these to each mom that joins our group. And we had one mom that came back and was like, thank you so much. Because I read that 
And then I went to the doctor because I, I was having thoughts like that. And I couldn't say them to anybody because I thought they'd think I was crazy. And they yeah. take my baby. Every time that she walked up the stairs, she thought she was going to drop the baby and crack his head open. And these, these aren't just fleeting thoughts. They like get stuck in there. And like every time you go up the stairs, you're thinking this. And they're, they're very disturbing to the mom. And they want them to go away. Other right. thoughts, you know, dropping a baby off of a bridge. If you're walking across a bridge, um, your baby drowning, like really scary, scary things. And um, they'll visualize it. And this is part of the OCD and anxiety that can come after. Right. And they, they cause such anxiety and, and panic in moms, but they also cause this vicious cycle of fear and silence because they don't feel safe sharing that these random scary thoughts have popped into their head. And we don't necessarily ask. We don't screen moms for this. Uh, even our, our depression screenings don't really address that. So Sam mails one of these little board books to each new mom that joins us. And then we normalize it in our conversations during our group um, and talk about it. The incident rate for these are so amazingly high. And again, it comes back to the definition of a disorder is that it's actions or thoughts that are behaviors that prevent you from living your life the way you want to live it. Everybody has some tendencies, but does it rise to a level of disorder? I've had so many moms that finally you know, we've gotten to that and they've been able to share it. And then their relief is palpable when they're like, you mean this happens to other moms? And it's like, yes, yeah. So let's, let's talk about it. Once we can identify it, we can figure out a pathway to treatment. It's just so amazing to hear. Now we're going to take a quick break and be back with Karen Jamison and Samantha Palmer. Don't go anywhere. Many thanks to New Hampshire's Office of Social and Emotional Wellness for sponsoring this podcast. Started within New Hampshire's Department of Education, the Office of Social and Emotional Wellness consolidates policy development and implements projects and programs that are focused on health and wellness with an emphasis on behavioral health of all students, youth, and families. To learn more about the Department of Education and its many programs and approaches, visit www.education.nh.gov. Today's show was also brought to you by Merrimack County Savings Bank, who proudly supports the mission and efforts of New Hampshire Children's Trust. Founded in 1867, Merrimack has served people, businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities in central and southern New Hampshire for over 155 years by treating everyone with care, respect, and compassion. Visit your local offices in Bow, Concord, Kentuckook, Hookset, and Nashua, or go to www.themerrimack.com. This podcast was brought to you by Nixon Peabody, who delivers exceptional legal services for clients in the community by combining high performance, an entrepreneurial spirit, deep engagement, and an unwavering commitment to a culture of collaboration, diversity, and humanity. Nixon Peabody works with universities, hospitals, and nonprofits of every size to maximize impact. For more information, visit nixonpeabody.com. And back to the show. Now, it seems like identification allows for kind of the strength for what comes next. And I'm curious to know what are some of the different programs or treatments that really help with what comes next after we destigmatize it? And how do we then deal with the intrusive thoughts? So there's three main pillars of treatment um, that we talk about, which is therapy, medication, and social support. And each treatment will look individualized. So if we usually, if we can hit like two of those things, we're, we're good. You know, if we find a mom and she's really struggling, we'd say, have you talked to your doctor yet? 
um, yes or no. And then we talk about the options of therapy. We talk about different options of medication and what might be scary to do that or not so scary to do that. Yeah. And then we try to build up their social support. Karen has this really awesome activity that I've stolen a hundred times now. You have the mom trace her hand and each little finger, you put a name and number of somebody you can call when you're feeling really low. And one of them has to be someone you can call at two in the morning. And so you slap that on the fridge. And so it's a visual reminder of, all right, I got to call somebody. Yeah. So one of the things that we really want to be aware of is that we're not doing what's called screening without linkage. If we just start having everybody screen for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders without a comfort with that and without an understanding of what to do if somebody scores, we're kind of defeating the purpose. There is a push right now, which I absolutely love, for women to be screened during their baby's well child checks because we know they go to the doctor what feels like every other day for like (laughs) the first couple of months. I mean, it's not that frequent, but it feels that way. They're there. So that's uh, some pediatric providers are starting to do that. What I see is happening and I'm thrilled about is that they're not just screening and then going, okay, um, but they have done the work. They know what to do if somebody screens positive and they have researched who in their community are up on perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So, and who are, you know, who, the, who they should refer to. So they've ensured that there's that linkage. We've got to have that linkage. One of the things that I talk about as soon as I meet with somebody and they identify that they're they're not feeling so hot is a sleep assessment. And I'll say to them, there's a reason sleep deprivation is a form of torture. Like you can go so long with getting an hour and a half block of sleep or a two hour block of sleep and then being up and then another two hour block of sleep. You can only do that for so long before the wheels come off the bus. And a lot of sleep deprivation, chronic sleep deprivation can mimic the symptoms of postpartum perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. If you think about your own self when you're tired more irritated, (laughs) more likely to blow up at somebody that's asking you something. Uh, You're frustrated more easily, all of these things. And everything seems insurmountable when you're exhausted. What research has shown is that you really need to have a four hour block of sleep and then a few small naps to be like to have that quality restorative sleep. You may not get that in the first few weeks, but at some point that's got to happen. And then if it's not, what do we need to do to make it happen? You know, if you're breastfeeding, can we pump a little bit and then can somebody else feed the baby so you can get that four hour block if the baby's every two hours? After a couple of those, you know, do things look a little different? Do you feel a little bit, you know, more resilient? It's so interesting. My wife and I just had this conversation yesterday because there the sleep conversation because we haven't been getting it. And it feels like the wheels, even with kids who are now well progressed through that period, it changes everything about your experience to those around you, including the children in your care. So it's really good to hear that. Yeah, it's 100%. And it's not just a newborn thing. You know, not everybody has children that sleep 12 hours straight at night. You know, we all think that once we get through six weeks or eight weeks, things get better and it's teething, you know, interruptions and, you know, illnesses or children that just don't sleep well and how it impacts your ability to function is profound. Yeah. Now, if somebody out there is hearing this and they're identifying with what you're saying, what advice would you give them? I would say for them to reach out to someone they trust and share. That we're kind of experiencing the same thing. Talk about it to anybody that you feel comfortable with. If you have a 
family and you eat dinner with them? Do you like a positive and negative of the day? One of the reasons we do such so many screenings is because it's really hard to be the person that's not feeling well and to reach out to somebody and say, I'm not feeling well. That takes a lot of courage and strength. But answering questions on a form is easier. I have found that women just won't say it, but they'll, they'll answer it on paper. And then we can have really good conversations about it. And sometimes I will give them copies of their depression screening because they'll, they'll say, I'm, I'm going to make an appointment and I'm going to go see my doctor, but I don't know how to start the conversation. And I'm like, just take this with you and hand it to them. And they'll look at it and go, hey, we got to talk, you know, so, and it works because it's a great starting point. They don't have to make themselves like vulnerable and say, this is what's going on. But if they're not in a position to do better, they're not being screened to find somebody that they feel safe with and that they trust and that can just start that process with them. Not for them, but with them. Samantha, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the discussion and all that you do on behalf of families in New Hampshire. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. To learn more about TLC's Family Resource Center and all of their programming, go to www.tlcfamilyrc.org. That's tlcfamilyrc.org. Many thanks to the Samuel P. Hunt Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. Established in 1951, Samuel P. Hunt Foundation is a Manchester-based, independent nonprofit that provides grants primarily for the arts, children and youth services, faith-based organizations, educational institutions, healthcare, and human services. Today's show was also brought to you by the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy and Protection Program, a multidisciplinary program with the Children's Hospital established to evaluate and provide integrated of care to suspected victims of child maltreatment. Together, a team of physicians, advanced practice registered nurses, social workers, nurses, and child life specialists work to provide consultation and evaluations of children who are suspected victims of abuse, so to serve in the best interest of children and families at multiple levels of prevention. For more information about Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy Protection Program, visit www.chadkids.org backslash child advocacy. New Hampshire Family Now is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or ask your smart speaker to play New Hampshire Family Now.